Good afternoon, everybody. This is Corey Hepler for the Crazy Monkey Inc. podcast. I'm here with my co-host and awesome comic writer and creator, Jared Gifford. Jared, how are you doing? It's always good. Always good to be here. That and is once awesome. Again, uh, once again, I, I just want to get it completely out of the way first, just 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 so people know. Uh, Corey and I both have our comic books out. Corey, as you know, is the writer of the uh, writer slash creator of Taxi Cab Joe. And to be clear, that doesn't mean he drew it, because everybody keeps asking us that question. Yeah. No, he wrote the scripts the same as me, and I'm the writer slash creator of Darum. And yes, to be perfectly clear, none of us drew these things. I mean, the thing is, we came up with the concepts in our heads and then we handed them off to artists. But anyway, um, I just want to get out of the way that, yes, both our comic books are available. Taxi Cab Joe number one, mm-hmm. Darren number one through three, and uh, you can you could, you can buy them at the Crazy Monkey Inc. website. That's Inc. with I-N... Is it Inc. with a K? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, anyway... Um, so, yeah, please check us out. Check the website out. And I also want to let you know that our podcast is not only available on SoundCloud, but our podcast is also available on Spotify. So if you're ever on Spotify and you're wanting a good podcast to look up, just look us up and just type in the words Crazy Monkey Inc. and you'll find us. Right under, uh, uh, just do that. Click on podcasts. You'll find us. Exactly. Now... We have an interesting theme for tonight. Yeah. Um, we are going through comics and comic books, and I'd even throw in mm-hmm. some uh, comic series, like on TV, that got us into oh, yeah. um, the comic book medium. The comic book medium. So I'm going to go first because you went last time. Yeah. And I'm just going to give a couple, and then we'll just go bounce back and forth, and we'll just throw out ideas. Oh no, they're good. Um, first comic book that I ever, um, had the chance to look at and read and really appreciate. The one that you remember. Exactly. Was, it was an Archie comic. Yeah. And I really, really identified with the Archie gang because not only are they teenagers and they're trying to live and and breathe in the society that can't stand teenagers, obviously. (laughs) Because yeah. what society can. Um, yeah. But they're also trying to figure out who they are. And it's yeah. just a comic about daily struggles and daily life in and outside of high school. Exactly. And it's also about boyfriends and girlfriends and friends fighting and making up. and. Well, um, they didn't have the name for it back then i mean i think back uh, back in the day they used to just call it drama but uh, yeah nowadays there actually is a, a a genre name for that and they call that slice of life mm-hmm. and uh archie is what i would call uh, probably one of the original slice of life comic books he is and i know you've read quite a few archie comics yeah so i want to ask you what character or characters while you were reading the series or a couple of comic books that you did, did you identify with most? Well, um, I, this might sound cliche, it might not, but uh, but I always identified with Jughead. I mean, the guy basically, it's like he wasn't interested in romantic relationships, he just wanted to eat hamburgers. Yeah. 
<laughs> he, wanted, he just wanted to hang out with his friends and eat hamburgers. Exactly. <laughs> now, me, I know this is going to sound um, not as cliche, but when I was in high school, not only did I love music, but I was a woman chaser. I loved being in relationships. So you, was, you identified with Archie. With Archie, more, and, it, and it wasn't the whole... I had the Letterman jacket, and I was in football, and I was the big old fat. Oh jock. no! You see, you definitely were not a jock. I can no. say that, but but it, but I, I think I know what you're getting at is that in the aspects that he was very much an extrovert, and he and he liked and he liked um, and he liked being around his friends and around people. Exactly. And uh, and and the fact that he was um, looking for attention constantly. Um, the whole thing is is that uh, th- that probably those aspects of him are something you identify with. Exactly. Because you're right. I mean, the, probably the more jocular aspects of the character you probably couldn't identify with because neither of us, I can say, were jocks going through school. And neither of us played sports unless it was P.E. and it was forced upon us for a grade. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then we were actually able to uh, talk the teacher into letting us just actually walk walk the grounds like, well, like, 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 do you just just walk laps like 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 every time we'd go into PE and we'd get a pass. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how many times we got out of doing the actual sport yeah. by saying, "Hey, we'll just walk forty five minutes worth of laps," and they were totally cool with it. We're saying yes, and so we had yeah. like the most interesting and amazing conversations. We were left alone because everybody thought we were weird for doing it, yeah. and then we just like have awesome conversations about comics, video uh, games, all yeah. sorts of stuff. Like, yeah. everybody thought we were weird, so just, yeah. like, we're still so let's stay away from thing. us anyway. Yeah, yeah so. <laughs> but what is it, but, so, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, in terms of, of, of character, so I totally know what you're saying. And, this, and that's actually why I can identify with Chuckhead. Because, I mean, me personally, it's like, I've never, I've never really been, like, you know, it's, it's like, I mean, to be clear... You know, hey, if if a if I happen to get in a good relationship with a woman, that'd be awesome. That'd mm-hmm. be great. But I'm not looking for it. I'm, you know, to to be clear, and, and a lot of people think that's weird. A lot of people think it's weird that I'm not actively looking for a relationship, and I just can't tell them all the same things because I'm I'm very much um, I'm I'm very much career oriented. It's 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 very much like you know that like you know you know doing the comics and doing the creating. That comes first. Yeah. Everything else to me is secondary, you know, and and how that comes off, I don't know, but that's pretty much how I always think, Mm -hmm. is that um, everything else is secondary. Now, that doesn't mean I don't value any of the relationships that I have with people. Yeah. You know, Um, it just means that at the end of the day, my biggest priority is going to be getting my work done. Yeah. Now, one more that I'm going to throw out, and then I'm going to let you handle the baton of awesomeness. (laughs) Um, Another one that I really loved back in the day, and I don't know if a whole lot of people read it, because A, it wasn't a very well-known comic back in the day, and Mm -hmm. B, if you did know the comic, it was almost like you probably knew it from the show before you knew it from the actual book. Yeah. Um, It was the Mighty Mouse comics. Oh yes, actually, because um, I had I'd actually, um, like most other people, I'd seen the uh, TV show first. Mm-hmm. So I was familiar with the cartoon character before I was familiar with uh, any of the comic strips. Yeah. Um, 
And um, and so yeah, because I didn't even know that he was a comic book character. I I I personally just thought he was. I I I just personally thought he was you know the cartoon world's like sort of spoof take on Superman. Yeah, and they did a couple of comic books, but not not enough to make it a good run. Because um, most of them, like you say, they were like either in the cartoon um, or they were in comic strips. Well, that's what so, I'm saying. Uh, well, and I'm sure they have compilations somewhere if you, uh, and they you do. look them up. Uh, but, but what I'm saying is that, yeah, because it was, uh, if I remember right, it was it was actually a newspaper strip first. Yes, it was. Um, the same thing when, when you go look up Flash Gordon stuff. I mean, yeah, you can find some Flash Gordon comic books nowadays, but the whole thing is, is what you want to find is you'll find mainly compilations of the old Flash Gordon newspaper stuff. Exactly. <laughs> That's like, um... You remember when yeah. Tarzan came out? Yeah, exactly. And it was actual in novelette format. And yeah. then afterwards in the papers, they would do like four or five box squares of just short stories of yeah. Tarzan's yeah, adventures. You know, yeah, yeah, and it was, it was, it was, uh, they had the daily strips. Yeah. And, uh, and it, would, it would like turn out to be like a whole weekly story if you yeah. put them back to back. Well, yeah, and basically you get, you get, you get three to four panels. Mm-hmm. Um, Every day, and um, and 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 maybe and maybe a few more on a Sunday. Exactly. Um, and uh, and then basically, yeah, probably within oh a few weeks to a month's time, you have a full story. Mm-hmm. It was um, almost like you could put them back to back, and it'd be like a full comic book. Yeah. In a new way. But uh, but you know, and I totally agree with you. But that's what I'm saying. And then and then and then every now and again, they would then collect them in these collected editions yeah. you know big thick books full of full of the old comic strips mm-hmm. and you know and, and in fact that's uh, you know that's actually something I've been uh, recently uh, been uh, trying to acquire myself is uh, because I because I'm a because you know I'm like I'm a big fan of Flash Gordon and I'm, I've been wanting to go back and get the original Alex Raymond Flash Gordon run. I mean, I'd read it before, mm-hmm. but I'd read it, like, from friends, and I actually... And they would have some of the reprints in the newspapers. Um, but, yeah, I'd never actually had the the full, thick, archived books. Yeah. Now, I'm going to pass the torch off to you, because I know mm-hmm. you have quite a collective history of comics and what... Served as the basis well, of well, well, we all have things like that. Um, and uh, the, uh, the earliest comic I <coughs> remember reading, and this is probably one of the reasons why I'm uh, why I like so many of the guys over at Image Comics, is first comic run I remember reading was a an X Men run mm-hmm. that was drawn by Mark by Mark Silvestri. Yeah, I, I for some odd reason I knew you were going to bring up <laughs> Silvestri. Yeah. Because you and I have a fondness for yeah. how he made the X-Men look. Oh, yeah. Feel. Uh, the, you know, the two, two of the image guys who did awesome runs on um, on X-Men was like, like Mark Silvestri was one and Jim Lee was another one. Mm-hmm. They did some awesome runs on the X-Men. I mean, that, I mean the X-Men animated series that everyone seems to love. Mm-hmm. And, and I love it, too. And I love it, too. But... That one was based off Jim Lee's iteration of the X-Men. Exactly. And if you're an Image fan and you follow Mm -hmm. the timeline, Mm -hmm. you can look at the cartoon 
then yeah. you can look at the stuff that Jim Lee does, yeah. even from now, and you can tell that it's similar. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I totally agree with you. <coughs> that's what I'm saying. Uh, um, and that's one of my earliest ones I remember. Uh, th that one I, I picked up. Um, and then also, and this also explains why I'm a huge Conan fan, was I had um, picked up the uh, run, uh, it was a few issues of Conan the Barbarian, and this was during the time when um, when Roy Thomas was writing it and John Buscema was doing the art. Now, it's an interesting thing that you bring up Buscema yeah. because his art style was actually very, very unique for the Conan universe. Um, well, actually, it, it was, it's very... Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's almost um, magazine-like. Yeah. Um, but his was considered the classic comic book style because, interestingly enough, the, the book How to Draw the Marvel Way, mm -hmm. the art in that was done by John Buscema. Exactly. Um, it, it, interestingly enough, um, you know, you would have thought they would have maybe went with a guy like Jack Kirby or something, but I think this was during the time when Jack Kirby had moved over to D.C. It was because it was at the time that Buscema had come over to Marvel yeah. and started doing stuff with Stan Lee. Yeah, um, but anyway, um, yeah, I'd, re I'd read that <coughs> run of Conan, but what that did was it led me back to other runs of Conan. Yeah, was uh, then then I then I went and read some of the original stuff with uh, with when Roy Thomas was was uh, was writing, and then the art was done by Barry Windsor Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, but also yeah. a very talented artist. Yeah, yeah, and then and the, and then transitioned from <clears throat> there to. To John Buscema, who then took over um, full time after that. Yeah. Um, and uh, and like I said, and, and those are some of my earliest memories. Oh, and another one I remember I, I'd read. I'd only read one issue, but it still had an impact on me even at a young age. Mm -hmm. Was uh, I had <coughs> picked up uh, one of those, and it was like you know those those magazine <coughs> kind of things I had. It wasn't like wasn't like wasn't like an it was like they had like the regular comic books, right? Which were, were which were for all ages. Yeah. Then they had like the magazine stuff, which was more adult oriented. I remember uh, that. Um, I, I had actually read a um, a Vampirella issue. Oh, yeah, she's been around a while. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, this was like the original older run of Vampirella. Mm -hmm. Um. And 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 that was an early memory I remember having. Um. Uh, with comic books, um, and then, <coughs> and then once again, and this shows you why I'm such a huge fan of the Image guys. Uh, another one of my first comic books I'd ever read was um, was Todd McFarlane's run on Spider-Man. I had read a couple of issues of the run that Todd McFarlane had done. Yeah, and I really, really enjoyed it because not only is he a master. Mm -hmm. at the art mm -hmm. of making characters pop off the page. Yeah. It's almost like the characters are so realistic. Yeah. Well, and, and uh, you know, one, one thing I'd give credit to Todd's personal style, because all the Image guys knew how to make characters pop off the page. Yeah. Every single one of them. They they had their own way of doing it. With Todd, his, his biggest gift to me was, um, was that Todd... <coughs> Gave his characters sort of this gritty kind of credibility. Mm -hmm. It was like a, it was like Spider-Man wasn't the Spider-Man that you knew from. You know, like he wasn't, you know, he wasn't like he wasn't your 
your your Steve Ditko Spider-Man or your or 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 your John Romita Senior Spider-Man. I like um, to call him the tidied up type Spider-Man, like you mm. and I talked about last Saturday, because we talked yeah. about John Romita Junior and Senior and how their art styles yeah. were very very different. Yeah, yeah not similar at all between the two of them. Oh yeah, and I would say like like with with Todd McFarlane, Todd McFarlane basically uh he he did what i like to call as the uh the gothic style spider-man mm-hmm. was uh because he was the one who he you know um he he changed because a lot of people don't know what a lot of people don't know was that uh he changed spidey's mask up a bit um, yeah was it was uh, more brooding well, well 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 the eyes were bigger mm-hmm. um the thing was was that um was was that when you see the older issues, when you see like the Ditko stuff, the I said the John Romita Senior stuff, yeah, they're smaller, and, and even and, and even uh, you, you know you know the subsequent runs throughout the eighties mm-hmm. up until Todd McFarlane joined, he, yeah, he had the smaller eyes. Yeah, um, Todd McFarlane, you know the like what most people know is the classic Spider-Man look with the big eyes and everything. That was Todd McFarlane. He came up with that. He also improved the webbing. A lot of other people don't know this either, but you go back and you read older issues of Spider-Man before Todd joined, mm-hmm. and his webbing—it would, it would, it you know, like, like, it, 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 it had this thing like if, if you were shooting it off to the side, it was, um, it was like, uh, uh it, it was like uh, three, it was well, it was like two, two or three lines going. Going off, uh, going off to the side, yeah. and then some lines going down, making this kind of little slight web-like effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would work if you were doing it in all the other directions. But if you had Spider-Man, like if you if you were, he had Spider-Man's like 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 a close-up, like a Spider-Man coming like right at the panel. Yeah. If he was uh, yeah, so if you could like see, see look look at him straight. The whole the problem was is if he was shooting webbing doing that. It would do this stupid little goofy thing, and I always remember this too. And, it was, and I, I thought it was stupid and goofy. It was like they would do this little sort of circular pattern, which looked oh, kind of yeah. stupid. It and, was weird. Yeah, and what Todd McFarlane did was he, he was the one who actually made the webbing look, uh, look much more organic. Mm-hmm. Like, like he was the one. He had the gloppy we- webbing. He was the, the or what, uh, and they dubbed it this. Because it's so funny, is uh, Todd McFarlane, and he said in lots of interviews. He said, uh, he said that the the editors would always get a hold of him. So he said, you know, uh, and, uh, and and then they would, uh, and then they would say, Todd, you gotta stop doing that spaghetti webbing. Yeah. And then he and then he was like, oh, they put a name to it. <laughs> and then yeah, and then from then on, it was known as the spaghetti webbing. Yeah. And what's interesting yeah. is if you look at. Todd McFarlane's run on Spider-Man. Yeah. And you see how they were drawn and the characteristics and stuff like that. Yeah. And then you jump all the way over to when he started doing Spawn. Yeah. They look very similar. Oh, in fact, I always like to refer to as this, and once again, this is no insult to Todd whatsoever, because the man the man is a genius. Oh, he really is. And and I love it, because he did have his own little unique take with Spawn, but... A way a lot of Spawn's powers worked was you think of it this way. Think if Spider-Man was from hell and had vast powers. Yeah. That's pretty much Spawn. Spawn is Spider-Man from hell. And 
but it's a good thing. It's a totally, it's totally and it's good and thing. it's worked for years. Yeah. So you know, um, when you look at obviously, the, you look at all the image founders, and a lot of them had that. They were similar things. It's like uh, when they did their own other books. I mean, like I said, uh, not even just Todd, but but you look at other guys. Like uh, you look at um, you you look at uh, Jim Lee's Wildcats. Mm -hmm. That was basically that was basically like his version of the X Men. Yeah. Um, you look at Mark Silvestri's Cyberforce. That was his cybernetic version of the X Men. Yeah. You know, you look at uh, you look at Rob Liefeld's Youngblood, and that was like his version of X Force. True. Um, and uh, you know, uh, just uh, um, the only ones that actually did characters that weren't really that similar from what they'd done before. Interestingly enough were Jim Valentino and Eric Larson. Well, that's because uh, they had um, they had a style all their own that was completely devoid and beautiful yeah. from what the others were doing. Well, yeah, well, the other guys had a, had the idea, and, and it worked, and it worked. The other guys had the idea of, let's do books that are similar um, from what we did before because that's what the fans will expect. And that's what um, made us money. Yeah, and that's what made the money. Um, with... Jim Valentino and Eric Larson. What's so funny is uh, Mar Mark Silvestri. I'd seen an interview with him, and he, and he was talking about like how Jim Valentino and Eric Larson were like the image trolls under the bridge. Yeah, he said they were very much like fuck the man, fuck the man, me 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 me. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, and so basically, what happened was um, <coughs> um, Jim Valentino came out with uh, his comic book called Shadowhawk. Which yeah. is amazing. Well, yeah, it's an awesome one. You need but to check fact, it out if you well, haven't so checked out Shadowhawk. Well, what's so funny is it was different from when he come when he come from before because when he was working at Marvel, he was doing Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm -hmm. um, when he Shadowhawk was almost like Jim Valentino's uh, take on it was almost like his spoof take on Batman because it was like Jim Valentino had this whole idea which which you know some people agree with some people don't agree with but he had this whole idea that like he said that. Because uh, he's, 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 one of the things he said in an interview was that uh, was that so many people seem to love Batman, love like like Batman. He's like almost everybody in the comic books industry seems to like Batman. He was one of the few that didn't. Yeah, he was actually he was one of the few that actually said Batman sucks as a crime fighter because See? because he doesn't do what needs to be done. He says he says, he was the one to he was one of the few people to point out look what Batman does. He beats up the bad guy, throws him on Arkham, and then basically they get released at some point in the future, and then the body counts just keep stacking up and stacking up. He said yeah. that what his idea with Shadowhawk was was he wanted to make a character who would do what Batman couldn't do. He, he uh, Shadowhawk, he was basically I mean look what he would do. He would cripple the enemies. He would, I mean, and then he was like, he, he would go over and he would like break some of these guys' spines so that they could never move again. Exactly. And I'm going to throw this out here just so everybody knows. Yeah. We both are huge lovers of Batman. Yeah. We're not trying to diss Batman. It's just how Jim Valentino had brought Shadowhawk out and how he gave yeah. him a more gritty, realistic and yeah. gothic feel. Yeah. It's almost like this is what you wish Batman um, should have been like exactly, but once again, here's the difference: is that like with 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 Shadowhawk, Jim Valentino could do what he wanted because it was his character and he could do it any way he wanted to. Yeah. Problem is with Batman, and, and I understand this from uh, at least from a business standpoint, mm -hmm. was that Batman you can't do that because Batman's a corporate character, and Batman and they need Batman to still be around to 
basically, you know, go and fight the bad guys because everyone likes a familiar rogues gallery. Yeah, you know. well, of course. But uh, like I said, from a business standpoint, I can understand that. But but yeah, from a comic book fan standpoint, I'm I'm actually with uh, with Jim Valentino on that. Jim Valentino had a good idea. Is the fact that you need you need you need an effective hero. I mean, come on, Luke Skywalker can kill people. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't seem like he runs out of bad guys. And in the Frank Castle, yeah, he his body count rose all the way through the seventies on it, and now yeah. he's killed so many friggin' people. It's just like, well, how many more mercenaries do we have left in the world that they got that has got to go take out? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, and then and the seven like Eric Larson, um, his was completely different too. Like when Eric Larson did Savage Dragon, yeah, because so, um, interesting enough, like Eric Larson had come off the Amazing Spider-Man. He mm-hmm. was doing the other Spider book. Because uh, for those who aren't familiar, what happened was. Todd McFarlane started out doing Amazing Spider-Man, but then what happened was he had full-on admitted to the Marvel staff that he wasn't thrilled with the scripts he was getting because because Todd McFarlane was the artist, but he wasn't writing it. Yeah. Um, at the time, it was written by uh, David Michelini, I think. And uh, what happened was um, Todd just was saying that he's like, you know, it's like, hey, these are good and everything, but but, you know, he said David just wants to use the characters that he wants to use. Todd wanted to... Do Spider-Man his way. Yeah. Um, but the, um, uh, interesting enough, he he was originally just going to go and ask him to do another book. But what happened was, I guess they loved his style so much and thought it was, was so great for Spider-Man. So what happened was they they created um, a book just for Todd. They yeah. created a book just for Todd that he could draw and write himself. So he was doing plotting the scripts and everything. Yeah. Um, and it was just called Spider-Man. And and that was the one that Todd McFarlane got into. Well, anyway, when Todd McFarlane left Amazing Spider-Man, that's when Eric Larson came on, and Eric mm-hmm. Larson was doing Amazing Spider-Man. Anyway, what happened was uh, was funny was when they went and formed Image, Eric Larson, uh, you know, went and did Savage Dragon, <coughs> and Savage Dragon was nothing like any of the characters he'd done before. Oh, nothing. not even close. Yeah, it was he was his own original character. Um, and so, interestingly enough, that's what I'm saying, is, like, you look at all the image founders, and most of the characters they created were similar to what they had done before, but the only two that weren't were Eric Larson and Jim Valentino. Their characters were actually completely separate from what they had done before. See, and I actually tip my hat to both those guys, because they decided to take the mold, break it, yeah. reform it how they felt they that it should be, and the best part is, it worked for him. Oh yeah, exactly. And and um, and oh, and anyway, um, and then um, a few other um, influential um, uh, uh, comic book stories for me that that I remember some of my earliest memories of comic books. Um, I remember the original um, uh, uh, Infinity War. Mm-hmm. And I'm not. I'm not talking the Infinity War that they have in movies now. Oh which, Jesus! And and here's the thing: if you love that, that's great. Um, and, you know, and, and, and what, what I want to make clear. Oh no! And, and here's the thing: and no, and I'm not against superhero movies either. But oh, what I, I want to make clear: and no, no, but but you, I think you and I can both agree on this: is that what I want to make clear is that is that what Marvel's doing with its movies, I can understand, and it's actually good, and it's, and it's proven to be a money-making formula. Mm-hmm. But what you got to understand is the Infinity War that you got is not the Infinity War that's in the comic books. What's it, really it, interesting is the Infinity War that we got yeah. was a lot grittier, 
um, a lot more action-packed. Well, and there were and, a lot more characters featured. And there was a hell of a lot more characters features. Like, if they were to go back and do the Infinity War correctly in the movies, I can guarantee you, you know, you would have way more movies. Well, you had, you had like, almost every major... Uh, Marvel team or character that were it was in the Infinity War because yeah. it was like the X Men were involved, um, the Fantastic Four were involved, mm-hmm. Spider Man was involved, the Avengers were involved. Were involved. Yeah, um, you know it was uh, it, um, it, you know um, there were a couple of cosmic beings that yeah, were involved. Yeah, 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 Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the uh, uh, I mean, and, and granted, you did get some of that in the movies. But what I'm saying is, is like, uh, like several, like, like one thing that was majorly missing from the Infinity War movie. And now I, I kind of understand because they were tied up in like legal battles with 20th Century Fox. So this was before. This was before. Yeah. Um, Disney had 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 gotten the uh, had 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 made the transaction for the 20th Century. Fox's um, entertainment division because who doesn't like legal battles, right? But but this is before. <laughs> but, but this is when 20th Century Fox um, owned the movie rights to both the X Men and the Fantastic Four. Yeah. Um, and so that's why you didn't get them in those movies. Uh, well, at least in that film. And uh, and I'm hoping because they still have another Infinity War movie to do. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that that they either do it in this current phase or they at least find a way to work it into the next uh, Infinity War movie. But I'm hoping this is when they finally start bringing in things like the X Men and the Fantastic Four. And you know it's interesting. I don't mean to spoil um, Infinity War for everybody, but when Adam Warlock comes. And he gets the glove from Thanos. Mm-hmm. He uses the Soul Stone to bring all the characters that Thanos killed yeah. back to life, and then they just go freaking batshit crazy on Thanos. Oh yeah, exactly. It's crazy. Like the whole comic, like the whole yeah. concept is just so, they come yeah. back and then Thanos eyes is like, for those oh that, shit. Yeah, for those of you that didn't know, and like I said, I don't know how they're gonna handle it in the movies. Yeah. We'll have to see, but. In the original comic book series of the Infinity War, um, it was it was just as Corey said. It was actually Adam Warlock who ended it. Yeah. Adam Warlock was the one who defeated Thanos and basically used the Infinity Stones to get the universe back on track. Yeah. Because Thanos had just been a complete asshole. And the weird thing is, the reason why he did it It'll still never make sense to me, but the plot behind it is actually very, very kind of adorable. Is the fact that the reason Thanos decided to do all of this is because he was trying to impress Lady Death. Yeah, and not to be confused with Brian Pluto's Lady Death. No, it's a totally different different. thing. Now, and we love, and and, hey, and and, you know, if Brian, if you ever listen to this, we love your comic book. It's awesome. Yeah. But yeah, but but yeah, yeah, Uh, and but for anybody who gets confused, no, this this Lady Death was for the Marvel universe. Yeah. And she was a. and she was basically, and she was, and she was basically a whole different thing. She was a cosmic being. Yeah. And uh, and Thanos was trying to impress her. And what's funny, I'm really not trying to throw out spoilers, is the fact that Lady Death finds out that Thanos did this. Yeah. And she is totally not even close to impressed, and it just yeah. like crushes Thanos <laughs> to the core. Yeah. You know. No, and I yeah, think yeah. that's like the pinnacle of the ironic humor. 
Yeah. In this whole run. <laughs> oh, no, exactly. And, and that's what I'm saying. So, and, that, and that's, and so, and I kind of figured you want that. That's why I mentioned Infinity War, because I knew that that would be a memory that you'd, you'd, you'd know fondly. And then mm-hmm. there were, uh, and then there were even, um, and then there were even, um, uh, other ones that I remember from way back when, which, 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 we, which we would all remember, um, is, uh, the, oh, one of the earliest ones, and, and you and I both talked about this. In fact, I think we talked about this last week, just yeah. at the comic book store. Well, another one we liked was the original uh, John Byrne run of Superman. Yes. See, now, <laughs> I'm not trying to bash any other artist or writer, but you have a have to you have to have a special type of skill in order to tackle Superman and make him look spectacular. Oh, yeah, and, and what I like is that uh, John Byrne, um, he, he pretty much set the precedent for the precedent for who Superman was pretty much all throughout our childhoods and even into our... Because the thing is, a lot of people don't even know this, but because uh, uh, what happened was you had you had the version of Superman that was pre-Crisis uh, 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 on Infinite Earths. Yeah. Then Crisis on Infinite Earths happens, and then what happens is John Byrne was brought in to sort of reboot the character, and um, and then what happened was uh, and so like every subsequent Superman we remember like from then on in mm-hmm. was was based on what John Byrne was doing in it was Superman comics at the time, and he hit yeah. Superman out of the park. Oh yeah, like it was so gorgeous, like it was oh, just yeah. amazing. Well, interestingly enough, what he did was and this. <coughs> And I and I gotta hand it to him, was he what he managed on doing is if he brought Superman, I mean, to, for the most part, back to his roots, mm-hmm. um, because a lot of people don't remember, but but prior to Crisis and Infinite Earths, like Superman was getting crazy powerful. Oh yeah, like this dude could like lift planets, and he could you know I mean he was doing these really weird, wacky, crazy feats of strength and power. He was almost godlike. Pretty much. Um, he was pretty much almost godlike. Christ and Infinite Earth happens, and then what happens is with John Byrne's version of Superman, and a lot of people remember him as a classic version, but here's the funny thing is that his version of Superman was more of a less powerful Superman. And it's not like he was trying to yeah. downplay the powers no. that he had. He was trying to give him a more human-like, well, relatable figure. He basically figure. brought him down to his basics. Yeah. He brought him down to his basics. He said, here's what he, he, here's what he could do. Because I said, they were making up powers all over the place. Oh, yeah. They were just, like, pulling powers out of their ass. And like, hey, yeah. Superman can do this. Yeah. You know? And it was like, uh, basically, he brought him down to his core. Basically, it's like, it's the classic Superman, basically. He can fly. He's got the he, you know he's got the laser eyes. He mm-hmm. can, he's got the cold breath. He can he can move really fast, and he's got super strength. But that's basically what they did. All he did was he basically put Superman back to his basics. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know without without all the added fluff. <coughs> and I think when he brought it back to the basics of Superman. I think a lot of people were really, really happy that he had brought Superman back to a relatable superhero. Yeah. Because when you had all that fluff and all those different powers, it was almost like not a whole lot of people had 
um, continued yeah. to read Superman because it was just too damn ridiculous. Well, and not only that, but then the continuity was all over the place. Oh, because, it wasn't even close to, like, yeah. on track with anything. Because what happened was, the, the, and this was the problem, and this is what they were having, was like, uh, and, and I'd even talk to my local, uh, 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 to, 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 my, to my local comic book um, owner, and uh, mm -hmm. for those that don't know, um, our local comic book shop here, uh, it, where Corey and I live uh, in, in, in St. George, our comic shop is Comics Plus. It's owned by David Rowland. Uh, if you're ever in St. George, please check it out. Comics Plus, great place. Got all sorts of great comics, and, and, they, and, and they even have events during the week. Exactly. Um, so please, check it out. Anyway, um, but, uh, but, but yeah, back to the continuity thing. With DC's continuity, um, especially during that pre, especially pre-crisis, was that it was all over the place because you had like you had like two Justice League titles. You had like one Justice League where all the characters were like the Justice League that most people know. Yeah, you know, Wonder Woman, Superman, Batman, uh, Flash, Green Lantern, whatever. Uh, you know, and then um, you, <laughs> and then and and then you had another Justice League, <laughs> and this was like well, this was like all the Golden Age heroes. Yeah, uh, and it's like wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Where is this? And then they had like they had all these different realities, and then I guess you basically had to go back and find out. But this is the whole thing. You had you had to do like some major research to find out. Okay, so this timeline's here, this timeline's here, and timelines were just all over the freaking place, and it was confusing. Yeah. Um. So what happens is Crisis on Infinite Earths happens, and the cool thing is, is they just bring it down to just to uh, uh, what happens is they 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 pretty much get rid. <coughs> Of all the other extra dimensions, and then Earth 1 and 2 just merge. See, and I was really happy about that because not only did it bring down the confusion, yeah. it brought Superman back to a point that we knew and that we enjoyed reading. Yeah, exactly, and that's what I'm saying is that, uh, um, and so pretty much what, what ended up happening was you basically had one... One, one continuous timeline, mm -hmm. and, and I liked and I loved it because then you knew what to expect. You knew, you knew if you were getting Batman, you were getting you, you were getting Batman. You were getting the Batman that you wanted. You weren't you weren't you weren't getting a, an alternate version of Batman from some other place and with some confusing timeline. Mm -hmm. You were just getting Batman. You got a Superman title. You were in Superman. You know, yeah, you, you got, got Wonder, Wonder Woman. Woman you got Wonder, Wonder, Wonder Woman. Woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it was. It wasn't. It wasn't like confusing all over the all over the place. You know, um, and so I, I. So these are all things I think that shaped our childhoods. Was like these kind of things because because we we grew up reading like the aftermath of mm -hmm. like uh, of like Crisis, but then also in Marvel we grew up reading the aftermath of things like Infinity War. Exactly, and. One thing that happened um, just recently, a couple years ago, that I actually really respected DC did, and I wish that Marvel would do it, but I don't know if they're going to, yeah. when DC started bringing out their Rebirth titles... Oh, uh, so you know, what I oh, love dude. about that... Those, re about those that, titles are awesome. That this is the, <laughs> to me, this is the best way you not only evolve characters, but you also keep... But you also... You're bringing in new, but you're but you're but you're but you're making sure that the old isn't irrelevant anymore. Yeah, is uh, is basically what did sort of what what DC what DC did with their rebirth titles <clears throat> was they basically just said, um, okay, 
We know that new readers are going to want some new characters. Yeah. But we also know that classic readers are going to want some of the classic characters. So what they did was basically like, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. Here's all your classic characters, but hey, here's some new characters or maybe some new people jumping on board. Mm -hmm. So basically, they have your old characters, you know, mixed together with some of these new characters. And that's, to me, that's the perfect way to do it. That's the best way to do it. The Marvel's problem, and, and once again, this is just my opinion, so I mean, you know, people can completely disagree with me on this one. But my personal opinion, and I know it reflects yours, is that yeah. Marvel's biggest problem is they do one thing or the other. They basically either just get rid of all their old characters and put in entirely <coughs> new ones, or, or they'll get rid of all their new characters and just... And just go back to status quo and say, "Okay, here's all your classic ones." You know, See, they never they never put them together. And what's interesting is if you could take, and I know we've bitched about this plenty. Yeah. Um, is back in the '90s, and I've said this a couple of times. If DC and Marvel could mm -hmm. get back together and start doing some crossover runs like they did with the Bloodline series. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of the new fans would be blown away how amazing they make it. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Is, is uh, And I don't wish they would do that because, I mean, one of the things I liked back in the day, and, and, and they haven't done this since the 90s, um, it was like the early 90s that they yeah. started this, too. Oh, no, no, no. They started before then. Because um, they had them over the years, and they had some crossovers in the '80s as well. But um, but I liked it when DC and Marvel would do some crossovers because I actually have it, and I still have it. I have I I have the um, I have the issue um, that DC and Marvel didn't. It was a Teen Titans X Men crossover. I remember that. And what happened was. Darkseid had actually teamed up with the Phoenix, mm -hmm. and he was basically going to use that power to basically enslave the universe. Yeah. And, and I loved it, because it actually worked out pretty well. Um, <coughs> and, uh, and that's what I'm saying. And, and then they had various other titles over the years. Um, you know, I know there was a... Oh, another one that was really great was they had a... Uh, they had a they had a Spider-Man Batman crossover. I remember reading that too, yeah. and that one was actually very, very well written and very, yeah. very well done. Because when you got when you got Spider-Man and Batman together, it was like, holy crap, this is an amazing duo. Oh yeah, exactly. And and, and they're all and they're all and they're all very good. But yeah, they had some really great crossovers back in the day. Mm -hmm. and, and I wish they'd still do it. But the problem is, is now, and I, I talked with a good friend of mine. Um, and I'm gonna give a shout out uh, once again. I don't know if he listens to this podcast often. <coughs> uh, yeah, I'll have to get him tuned on. Yeah. But uh, but my friend Chad Harden had told me, and and I agree with him, is that the biggest problem now is that you have two big corporate giants who own DC and Marvel. Um, and that is Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers owns everything DC. Disney owns everything Marvel. And the thing is, is that Warner Brothers and Disney are like bitter rivals. Yeah, they don't like each other at all. Yeah. And I will never understand why. I mean, I know there's a reason why. I just don't understand it. Well, it... Because it's petty as hell. No, from what I understand, it, it has to do with... Uh, with, with, with um, because the funny thing is, is, the regular editorial staff at DC and Marvel love each other. Mm -hmm. They're all friends. Yeah. Um, it's actually the, the 
top, top, top guys. Mm -hmm. The guys who were basically in in charge. The guys who were in charge of the whole thing. There are the you know like you know like uh, how do I put it? The overlords on top. <laughs> the overlords. Oh wow. Uh, for lack of a better term, mm -hmm. um, they're the ones that like hate each other. Like you know, and 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 from what I understand, you know, unless somebody somewhere drops dead, um, Warner Brothers and Disney are not ever going to be doing any crossovers at any point at all. It's because they're a bunch of dicks. <laughs> and I have no reservations for not saying that because yeah. they're literally crippling what could be a billion upon billion dollar industry if they would just both pull their heads out of their asses and do like they did in the 90s. Oh, I, I agree. I agree. And, and, the, and, and that's what I'm saying. It's like, you know, I, I wish they would, but sadly, I, I don't see it happening anytime soon. Yeah. But, but, but like I said, I mean, um, but... Last, last time Warner Brothers and ever did something together, I believe, was uh, the movie Who Friend Roger I believe, uh, I yes, believe he's yes. right. Yeah, yeah, actually he's right. Uh, once again, for those of you who don't know, that was my brother Derek. <laughs> he occasionally throws in commentary every now and again. Uh, but, uh, but yes, I agree. I think the last time Warner Brothers and Disney ever worked on a production together was when they did Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And unfortunately, they had to pay a lot of money to get certain characters. In fact, in fact just for the short amount of time that they had... Um, the short amount of time that they had Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse in the same scene together, mm -hmm. they had to. They, yeah, I mean, I, I I can't remember the exact number, but I think they basically had it had it work. <coughs> they basically had to pay like half a million per minute to have Bugs Bunny um, Bugs Bunny in that movie. Yeah, and you know, I mean, good on them. Yeah, but it just goes to show you that if if powerhouses like that can make really amazing comics like and stuff like that, mm -hmm. yep. There's no, there's nothing that says that two indie companies can't come together and make something amazing like IDW yeah. and DC did with the Ninja Turtles and Batman run. Oh yeah, exactly. What's one thing you can actually say is that there are some crossovers they are doing that are pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Because I noticed that. Um, that uh, I noticed that uh, that I the IDW has been doing some DC crossovers, as you said. Yeah. Um, I noticed that um, that Marvel's been doing a few crossovers with Dynamite. Yes. Um, and I'm glad for that because Dynamite is another sort of powerhouse indie company that has come out with some grandiose titles. Well, one of the ones that they do, and, and I'm going to shout out with this one because I, because I love it. Is I I love what they've done with Red Sonia. Oh yeah, Gail Simone and Jim Zub doing Red Sonia, just absolutely fantastic work. Well, that was the Conan Red Sonia crossover. I know which ones you're talking about. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, that was the, that was the crossover. But but uh, but but she uh, but but I believe she did do some standalone Red Sonia stuff as well. Oh, she did. Yeah, she did a couple of. Um, I don't know if they were actual story arcs, but she did quite a few Red Sonias for Dynamite. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and, and that's what I'm saying. And, and they had a really awesome run with that. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, and then once again, I go back to Flash Gordon, but uh, but uh, Dynamite's actually done some really awesome newer Flash Gordon stories. Yes, they have. 
And, and and what I love about it is, and once again, to me, this is the perfect way to reboot something and do it for a modern audience, is you read some of the Flash Gordon stuff they did, and it's got that sort of, it's got everything that made the classic Flash Gordon good. Yeah. But they update it for a modern audience. You know, so that way you're not like saying like you you know you're not like having uh, Flash Gordon be like <coughs> like some sort of outdated character. Yeah, they bring him to the times. They bring him into the times exactly, and that's the best way to do it. Um, you know, I had mentioned this with because uh, uh, I'd seen a uh, I'd seen the, uh, the there was a there was a rebooted version of Star Blazers. Yes. And for those that don't uh, don't know, Star Blazers was a series they had in the 1970s. It was about this crew that basically was trying to find this planet called Iskandar because they were fighting this war against this race called the Gamelaz. And what happened was they had um, they had uh, they had bombarded the planet with uh, with basically. Um, um, with a whole bunch of uh, planet bombs, uh-huh. and it was spreading radiation across the planet, and and come to find out that they basically were trying to wipe out the human race so that the Gamelons could come in and uh, basically take over the entire planet. Yeah, um, bunch of dicks. Yeah, and anyway, um, but anyway, what happened was yeah, this was a classic series from the 1970s. Anyway, they they redid it. They 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 they, they redid it in in like uh, 2012 over in Japan, and I think. They brought it over to the states a few years later, mm-hmm. and anyway, I I had the privilege to go back and, and uh, go go and watch this remake, or reboot as they call it nowadays. Yeah, and and, and it was done really well, and I, I was uh, you know um I got to say like my, my brother and I we talked about it, and it was really great because once again goes right with my philosophy. This is how <coughs> this is how you redo something. Yeah, it was because it did exactly what I love. It kept everything that made the original series good, but it updated it in a way that all the elements that might be considered cheesy by today's standards were not in there. It was updated for today's audience. Which is good, too, because um, today's audience, and I'm really not trying to sound disrespectful, but they're very finicky. Well, um, well, the, the, the tastes are diverse all over the place. But what I'm saying is, this was in a good way. What I'm saying is, is that it wasn't like they changed it to make it bad or worse or anything. Yeah. What they did was, I said, they took out like. Uh, let me put it this way: you remember, come on, you remember shows from the 1970s and 1980s. Now, well, there was a lot of stuff that we did like about it, but. I want to bring up the cheesier elements. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. It's like, back then, you had a typical joke like this, okay? And this was just kind of par for the course, but I'm so glad that they got rid of this kind of humor. Yeah. Was was basically, let's say one of the characters was trying to eat a banana. And... Uh, and then maybe maybe some maybe some critter or something goes over, grabs the banana and runs off with it. Yeah. And then one of the characters is like, "Ha ha! Looks like your banana just split." Oh yeah, that cheesy '70s humor. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm, you know it's yeah. outdated. It's still kind of funny, but well, no, but the, you know. but what I'm saying is, but what I'm saying is, I'm glad that they're not doing that anymore. That's what I'm talking about updating it for the modern age. <coughs> A lot of the cheesier elements like that they got rid of. I said, they kept everything that made Star Blazers good. All the good stuff they kept in there. But as far as the humor and the way they talked with each other, Mm -hmm. it had more of a a modern flair to it. 
Now, um, we are almost out of time. Are there any book recommendations or comic recommendations that you would like to give the audience listening? Um, yeah, yeah. You, uh, there's, a, there's a few I would uh, definitely like to, uh, to recommend. Okay. Um, you know, uh, you know um, once again, you know, you know I love my classics. You know, I love my classics. Um, I will highly recommend this. And once again, I know I'm probably doing what so many people like. I know, because uh, like, to be to be clear, I love Halloween and I love the fact that Halloween's coming up. But I am going to suggest a Christmas book. Um, You're good. You know, but, but I'm not jumping the gun here. But uh, but anyway, um, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. Now, I know a lot of people go over this and a lot of people are like, ah, come on, that's so cliche. But if you have not read this book, there's a reason why it's considered such a classic. Yeah. And it's got a lot of high values and morals in it as well. Exactly. Well, and that's the whole point. It's basically, it's, it's one of those things that it's, it's kind of a, it basically shows you that, that, that if you want it enough, you can change. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point. Is like a lot of people seem to uh, always have to be able to say, "Nobody can change. Nobody can change." But no, what it is is a question of want. If you want it bad enough, you can change. This is true. And that's what a, that's what a Christmas Carol teaches, and uh, you know, and it's also kind of a "you reap what you sow" kind of story. Is that basically whatever you bring out there? is what you're going to get back. Exactly. How you treat other people is yeah. ultimately how you are going to be treated. Yeah. And so I, I would like to recommend that. Okay. Um, you know, um, but it is coming close to Halloween season. And I want to recommend another great classic. Um, and I want to recommend The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Are you talking the original novel? The original, I'm talking the original, the original book, yes. Okay, The okay. original story of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Gotcha. Um, and, and that's what I'm saying is, you know, I mean, hey, you watch the movie too. But, uh, but, uh, but and, and, and all the other iterations if you want to. But, but this is, if you want the story in its purest form, mm-hmm. read The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, it's 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 a wonderful story. It's actually not that long. It's actually a pretty short story. It really is. Um, <laughs> the funny thing is, it's like, and to clear thing, to clear some things up, is that, is that the characters in the book are actually a lot more. They're, for lack of a better word, they're all dicks. They're all dicks. Uh, you know, it's like there's no good guys in it. <laughs> Um, anyway, uh, that was one, and then, uh, and then I you usually like to end these things with at least one comic book recommendation. Okay. Um, and for, uh, for a comic book, um, I, let's see, um, god, there's so many I'm reading right now, uh, I have to, uh, I, but I know I have to relegate it to just one, but, uh, for, uh, for a comic book recommendation, I believe I will recommend. Well, and we mentioned this earlier. I'll, I'll recommend Shadowhawk. There you go. Shadowhawk, it, it's a good run. If you like, if you like Batman-esque stories, you'll like this one. But hey, if you wanted a story where Batman actually, you know, did his job and got rid of the criminals, <laughs> this this is this is why you read Shadowhawk. Yeah. All right. Well. I think we have enough time for your recommendations. All right, I've got three recommendations, then we're going to head on out. 
Um, one that I would love to recommend because not only is it a classic, it's one that you and I thoroughly enjoyed mm -hmm. and probably enjoyed it this day, yeah. is The Tale of Two Cities. Oh, yeah. Yeah, see? I love it. We're, <laughs> we're, 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 doing, we're doing two for two because you got a Charles Dickens reference. Exactly. And I, I absolutely love Tale of Two Cities. Yeah. Because it just shows you, you know, it, that it's okay to have differences. You don't necessarily have to fight and act like a bunch of a-holes towards each other. Well, I, and it, and it, well, it goes to show you that that uh, um, I think one of the biggest things in A Tale of Two Cities is that you can't judge a book by its cover. Yeah. Because you notice that some of the people that are villainized are villainized unjustly. Exactly. And then some of the people that are um, looked at as good people are actually the ones that are causing a lot of harm. Mm -hmm. And actually, if you look at the film Frozen, yeah. Frozen was actually adapted from A Tale of Two Cities. In a way, yeah. I, I, yeah, I didn't see the parallel until now, but yeah, that's a good point. So, for all those Frozen fans, yeah. um, I know there's a lot. Yeah. Uh, two more, one comic book and one other novel. Uh, one I read that I don't know if you have or not. Yeah. Um, of Mice and Men. Oh, yeah. Okay. Of course I read that. That was required reading when we <clears throat> were in school. Yeah. Now, I know that it has a ton of racial overtones to it, but it also goes to show you that you can't judge a book by its cover and you yeah. can't fear that which you don't understand. Oh, yeah. Well, and, then, and it was really... Tragic, because I mean, it really was. Those, those, and especially the way that 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 book ends is like you know, I mean, you know, the where, where the guy had to go out and and for those who haven't read it, I'm gonna spoil it completely. But he had to go out and kill his brother. Yeah. But that was because his brother had 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 gone and accidentally murdered somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, but but what was tragic about the whole thing was you knew the brother was simple minded mm -hmm. and you knew that the brother did not mean what he had done you knew you knew that you know that the brother had only done <coughs> his own strength yeah and so i would highly recommend of mice and men um excuse all the racial overtones cuz there are tons because back in the day um race was considered not so taboo just like if you read yeah. huckleberry finn or you read anything from that just, time just just to be clear here's the whole thing and i think this is all we have to explain is it's classic literature it's going to have a lot of stuff that by today's standards would be considered taboo mm -hmm. if you can take all that with a grain of salt you can read this book and get at least still get a good message out of it exactly and for my comic book recommendation i love this comic dearly to this day yeah and i think i'm gonna have to buy the first run of it because it was just awesome how they introduced it into the uncanny x-men yeah. the uncanny x-men introduction of bishop the time cop oh yes yeah, you know i remember that and uh, uh you know uh, and, and once again i wish i'd actually mentioned this when we were going through creators but yeah he was created by another image founder will spritasio exactly and uh and, and, and yeah, I mean, and, and, and I totally agree with you. Uh, the, the introduction of that character was was freaking awesome, and a lot of people don't give him credit. Most people always remember Cable, but they don't remember Bishop. Yeah, and and and, and that's kind of sad because no, I, I I totally agree with you. But no, those are actually some great recommendations. Please check these all out. Once again, check out our website. 
buy our books, Taxi Cab Joe, Darum. Check out our podcast. We have it on Spotify as well. Look it up. Exactly. Uh-huh. And um, we'll be doing another one this Saturday, so um, tune in to that. Thank you for tuning in. Jared, as always, thank you for being co-host on this podcast. You're amazing at this. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's always good to be here. And be safe, love one another, show each other some love, and have a fantastic evening.